Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. Before we get going real quick, here are a few things you need to know. First of all, StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's our mothership. That's our homepage. Visit that site if you want all the podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and links out to our social media accounts. And of course, we bring this show to you free of charge. You are never expected to pay for Stuff to Blow Your Mind. But if you want to help out the show, one thing you can do is head on over to iTunes or whatever service you listen to our show through and give us a give us a rating and review. Give us some feedback, and that'll help more people find out about the show, see it, and maybe start listening and become part of our evil army. And if you do the Periscope, if you know what the Periscope is, and you want to Periscope uh, with us, with some assemblage of the team here at Stuff to Blow Your Mind, then uh, be sure to check that out. We're uh, doing those uh, most Fridays these days. So you can find out more information about that at our Facebook or our Twitter. All right, Joe, let's get uh, going on the topic here today. We're we're talking about snow because we are in the midst of winter of some sort. Where we are highly unlikely to see snow because, <laughs> let's face it, we live in Atlanta and it's not unusual to have 80 degree days in December. Yes. Most of my snow these days is coming in the form of storytelling uh, and uh, storybook reading with my son. Yeah. Uh, particularly the Dr. Seuss book, The Cat in the Hat Comes Back. Are you familiar with this text at all? I don't think so. Now, now was this written, uh, this wasn't Alexander Solzhenitsyn? No. <laughs> no, this was Dr. Seuss. This is Dr. Seuss. Okay. The All cat right. in the hat comes back. Does he come back for revenge? Um, depend, you know, it depends on your read of Cat in the Hat and what cat in the, the, what this hat cat wants, uh, out of its visits. This is, of course, the sequel to The Cat in the Hat. You might remember that one is the adventure in which the cat shows up on a rainy day and starts causing a mess, brings in thing one and thing two, and they run amok, and then eventually they have to catch thing in, thing one and thing two, and uh, Sally and her brother get the cat out, get the place cleaned up just in the nick of time. But they've effectively staved off boredom, so it's yeah. not a total loss. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But in the sequel, this is what's happening. It's, it's a snow day. There's snow everywhere. Uh-huh. And Sally and her brother are outside cleaning up the snow, and her mother is... Their mother is who knows where. But uh, they're at home <laughs> doing chores. Cat in the Hat shows up, goes in the house. And the brother instantly thinks, well, this is no good. I'm going in. I'm going to check this out. Make sure the cat's not wrecking the place like he did last time. Because uh-huh. the, the Cat in the Hat is a... Is, a, is an agent of chaos. Yeah. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's good or bad, but he brings chaos to wherever he goes. He's kind of a low-key figure. Yeah, exactly. He's a, he's a trickster god. And in this particular incident, the first thing the cat does is start eating pink cake in the bathtub, which is, which looks very fun and inviting in the book. <laughs> uh, and, uh, the, 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 the boy, he says, all right, the brother says, all right, you gotta get out of there. This is making a mess. And indeed, it makes a pink ring uh, in the tub when he drains it. So the, the cat in the hats thing is, has always been that he's going to help clean up because uh, he's responsible. Uh, but his cleanup techniques tend to be a bit chaotic as well. And in this case, so it's kind of a Amelia Bedelia, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Even the well-meaning attempts to fix things sort of cause more chaos. Right. And his methods are, are strange. And in this case, it's not. It's not a situation where you just, all right, well, let's wash out the tub like a normal person would. The cat transfers the pink stain from one item to another in the house. So it goes everywhere until it eventually winds up on the father's bed, and he has to call in all these additional hat cats, these increasingly smaller cat in the hats from under his hat. So, uh, with each one has a different letter of the alphabet as its name. So eventually you just have... There's a whole bunch of different sized hat cats working to destroy the stain, which eventually ends up outside the house staining all of the snow. Uh, And they keep trying harder and harder. They keep pulverizing the snow, but it remains pink. It's only when the very smallest hat cat of all, Hat Cat Z, a cat that is so small that we, we are told we cannot actually see it, that cat takes off his hat, and inside that is something called Voom. And Voom cleans up all the snow, makes it white again. But what is Voom? I don't know. That's the that's that's a, a question that I want uh, our listeners to keep in mind. Two questions: A, what is this pink snow exactly that Sally and her brother and the, the Hat Cats are dealing with? And indeed, what is Voom? What uh, what is this uh, this strange 
substance or or m- molecule or uh, or energy within the the uh, hat cat z's hat what is it and how does it clean up that snow it's midichlorians <laughs> it might be well obviously the cat in the hat comes back is just a delightful children's fantasy but there are a lot of strange facts and strange circumstances in which people have encountered Quite bizarre snow events in the real world. I, I don't know about Voom, but pink snow is not just a dream. It's a fact about reality. It happens sometimes for various causes and in various locations. And not just pink. We've seen black snow, green snow, blue snow. Mm-hmm. We've seen, uh, we've seen weird snow sculptures that seem not to have been made by humans or animals. We've seen snow that some people think isn't actually made of water and mm-hmm. is maybe some kind of like nano robot army invading the world. <laughs> so, so I thought it would be worth doing an episode just to talk about all of the weird ways that, that snow can freak people out. Indeed. Indeed. So let's, oh, you know, one, one way that, that, uh, a natural phenomenon tends to, uh, freak us out is when it's, uh, its size is different. You know, I mean, that's the uh-huh. whole thing. Nobody cares about seeing a rat, but if you see a giant rat, well, that's worth talking about. How about giant snowflakes? Yeah. You know, snowflakes are not like scorpions. Whereas with a scorpion, uh, a giant scorpion, uh, uh, that's really interesting, but even <laughs> a normal size, very small scorpion is worth your attention. Yeah, how big does a snowflake have to get before you actually stop and take notice? Well, th- that's a good question. So, obviously, a normal size, I don't know what, what, what a normal size would be, but maybe a couple millimeters or so for a snowflake, that, that's not worth your attention. If it were a few inches across, that would be something you'd notice, right? Yeah. Um, and it turns out that that does happen sometimes. Now, the biggest on record is one where the record itself is highly disputable. The traditional record holder for, for the biggest snowflake was supposedly observed by a rancher named Matt Coleman of Fort Keogh, Montana in 1887. Ah, oh, well, that is big sky country, right? Oh, is it? Yeah. I think so. Isn't it Montana big sky country? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if there's bigger sky or the bigger snowflakes. I would guess so. That, that seems to be the uh, the relationship going on here. Well, let's hear what Matt had to say about what happened on his ranch. According to Matt, there were snowflakes that were falling that were bigger than a milk pan. What? Yeah, so they were 15 inches wide and 8 inches thick. So you've got these, like, frisbee-sized snowflakes. Yeah, that's like a, down. that's like a pizza. And and also one of the things you'd have to imagine is that a snowflake of that size would have enough density with the the ice crystal within it that it'd be falling pretty fast and pretty hard. Uh, this is cer- certainly something that's true. Larger snowflakes tend to fall faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, those snowflakes that are several inches across will fall faster than a you know light, fluffy, tiny little thing. So I don't know what it would be like to stand under a snowflake that's 15 inches wide. I mean, would that be like a giant ninja star coming from the sky to kill you? I mean, it almost sounds like a, like a spiritual experience. It's like like seeing an, an alien life form or an, an angelic visitation is occurring in your life, right? Yeah, yeah, death huh. frisbees from heaven. But anyway, 15 inches wide, I don't Somehow, I don't believe Matt, the rancher. I think Matt, the rancher, may have been exaggerating. That's just my gut feeling. It could be wrong. Uh, Apparently, this guy's word was good enough for the Guinness Book of World Records. (laughs) But, I mean, it's not like they sent a team of investigators out there to verify it, and they measured the snowflake and everything. I think we're pretty much just going on what this guy said he saw. Okay, and I can easily imagine a rancher out in the middle of nowhere in Montana and Everything kind of looks the same after a few days. The mind begins to sort of gnaw on itself a little bit. And then in the midst of a snowstorm, you are visited by this this geometric uh, entity. Right. Thor's ninja stars. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you call up Guinness and uh, they write it down because they need to push some copies. Okay, so and I don't know about 15 inches, but it's definitely true that, that snowflakes several inches across happen sometimes around the world, and, and that's freaky enough on its own. Yeah, yeah. If I saw a snowflake three or four inches across, I would think the Odin sleep was dawning. Yeah, or that I was shrinking, one of the two. <laughs> that's a good way of looking at it, too. But, of course, that's not the only way that uh, snow can do something physically very strange uh, w- without having anybody mess with it. 
Yeah, and this was uh, something I had I had not heard of before. This was a new one uh, when you brought this up for this episode. Yeah, so I want to put you in a scenario. I- imagine you are out hiking in the Rocky Mountains on New Year's Day. Okay. You're a little bit hungover. You've got your rifle across your back. Okay. You've got your snowshoes on your feet. And you've got your VHS camcorder with the cracked lens, and it's fully charged up on battery power because today is the day you are finally going to capture video evidence of Bigfoot. Well, you know, that is my New Year's resolution for the coming year. Oh, so, really? To just finally, you know, quit talking about it and just get some video footage of, uh, of the, of the Sasquatch. Yeah, put up or shut up. It's the ultimate personal betterment. But it, anyway, you're, you're snowshoeing alone through a desolate mountain pass, and suddenly you come out of the pines into this pristine, snow-covered clearing, and you look out beyond the path, and you see something very strange. You see dozens of white cylinders lying on the ground on their side, each between about, like, one and two feet tall. Hmm. And the best way to describe it is that it looks like someone has taken a flat layer of snow and rolled it up, like you might roll up a flat sheet of pastry into a cinnamon roll. Okay. And sometimes it's this solid spiraling cylinder like the cinnamon roll, and sometimes it's more like a donut. There's a hole in the middle making it look like a white car tire, or one description I've read, a gigantic white Cheerio huh. just sitting there in the snow. And you look around, and there are no footprints anywhere. No indication that anyone has created these giant icy spirals, unless, of course, Sasquatch has wings now, and you know that, that's how he did it. But <laughs> what's going on here? Well, I, I read an article where a guy named Mike Stanford had an experience like this in 2007. He, he wasn't hunting Sasquatch, no no uh, rifle or, or VHS camcorder. But uh, in a 2007 article for the Seattle Times... The author Susan Gilmore speaks to Stanford, who's this avalanche control expert for the Washington State Department of Transportation. That sounds like a pretty cool job, by the way. Yeah, and plus sounds like he's an ideal person to start thinking about this phenomenon, right? Because the movement of snow, uh, the, the physics of snow, that's right up his alley. So while uh, Stanford was out doing avalanche control work in the North Cascades in uh, March 2007, he came across these giant donuts made of snow in a place called Washington Pass. And the, the biggest ones were like two feet tall with a hole in the middle that he claimed was big enough for him to fit his head through. I, I don't know if that means he actually stuck his head all the way through it. He said he put his face up to it. But <laughs> it does give me an idea to write a horror story with this great novel execution device, which would be the ice guillotine. Oh, man. that Yeah, don't stick your head into one of these. I, was, I mean, even if it's just uh, two feet tall, it just... Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't typically want to be an alarmists yeah. on this podcast, but but just play it on the safe side. Don't stick your head in. in an yeah, if you out. encounter some alien-looking uh, ice or snow sculpture out in the middle of nowhere, will, uh, because yeah, this I think you know. Back to your question, like how would I respond to this? I think I would I would be a little freaked out by it, especially since uh, as as I stated, I was not familiar with this phenomenon until you mentioned it to me. Yeah, well, I w- I would. Pretty obvious. I mean, I've read about it now, but before I'd read about it, I would think someone had made these. Yeah, and I would think ice cannibals that are uh, waiting on me to, you know, to, to look at their holy structures or pe- perhaps ice golem scat. <laughs> and therefore, I need to be aware that there's a giant a creature of ice in my vicinity. Right. Uh, but no, they are not made by humans or by animals. They're very rare, but they've been sighted and photographed all over the place, everywhere from the mountains to the prairies on very special occasions uh, because they're they're just one of those weird byproducts of the naked laws of physics when all the variables are just right. And they really do have to be just right. These things don't happen very often. But here, here's what you do. The, oh, by the way, the name of them, people call them snow rollers. That's the <laughs> most common. Also snow donuts. But uh, <laughs> the snow rollers, so to get one... You start on the bottom with a hard, crusty surface of ice or solid snow, uh, and it's it's supposed to be hard and crusty so that the new falling snow doesn't stick to it very well. So you've got this hard, crusty surface and then looser, relatively wet snow piling up on top of the hard layer. And then you add a force like uh, gravity 
or just the right kind of wind. And whichever one it is, if it's gravity pulling it down along a slope or a wind blowing it across the side, there begins to be a lateral movement across the ground and it scoops up the layers of the looser, denser snow, which sticks to itself, but doesn't stick to the, the harder layer beneath. It starts to roll up along the surface of the hard layer, keeps picking up more loose snow as it goes, and it essentially is a self-forming snowball huh. like uh, like you'd use to make a snowman. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, it, that, that sounds like the best way to think of it, is self-forming snow, snowball that's forming on the surface of harder uh, more com- compact uh, snow slash ice. Right. So if you are ever out wandering about in the snow and you see one of these uh, icy Swiss rolls, do not panic. It is it is not a sign of any looming danger. You've just seen the laws of physics in very rare form. <laughs> but uh, I think we should get to the the all the colors of the snow rainbow. <laughs> I want to ask the question, can you paint with all the colors of the snowstorm? Uh, because, I mean, most of us have only seen white snow. I mean, I think it's fairly rare to see snow of a different color, but it does happen sometimes. Right. And, of course, once it falls, it can become muddied quite literally <laughs> by uh, by many other things. You know, you get, oh, you get yeah. brownish and blackish snow because of the mud puddles. You get yellow snow because of the urine. Uh, <laughs> you, get, get, you can get red snow because of the, um, you know, the, the sacrifices you're, you're making to the to the uh, gods and goddesses of spring to bring the crops back. Right. But generally speaking, the stuff falls white. Yeah. But not all the time. So, Robert, I know you are a fan of the red snows of hell. Oh, yes. So uh, I want to hear a little bit about this. What's the deal? What's going on in hell when it snows? Well, of course, in this, we're... We're, we're dipping back into the, the fantasy world, the literary world, uh, uh-huh. before we come back into natural world uh, snow accumulation. But, uh, yeah, if you uh, you look into the works of, uh, of Dante, if you look into um, uh, particularly Dante's Inferno, uh, you find a lot of meteorology because Dante was a guy who was just interested in everything. Uh-huh. And just about everything he was interested in found its way into um, the divine comedy. Uh, and so there's a, there's a lot of meteor- meteorology in his work, I do remember a lot of it. Like, uh, aren't the the people who are on the level of lust are constantly blown around by winds? Oh yeah, and they, they can't they can't stay solid and be constant. Yeah, there there are a ton of different examples. And in fact, if anyone wants to look into this more, there I highly recommend the Weather of Hell, a look at the meteorology of Dante's Inferno by uh, Randy Cervini, and uh, he he looks at, for instance, how Dante seems to use. Uh, of what would eventually become our modern idea of convection and circulation cells. <laughs> um, really? Yeah, he, he does a he does a really fun job of of lining up these different uh, natural world weather phenomenons and the observations of weather uh, in the world that Dante creates for us. Well, let's hear what Dante's got for us. Can, All right, can you give me an example? Yeah, tying into uh, in today's topic, he uh, mentions in Canto fourteen. Uh, describing uh, uh, the plain of burning sands. This is, of course, a translation. Over all the sand fell slowly wafting down, dilated flakes of fire as flakes of snow on alpine summit when the wind is hushed, as in the torrid Indian climb the son of Ammon saw upon his warrior band ascending solid flames that to the ground came down. Mm. All right, so, uh, you know, he's talking about... Some reddish snow. Uh, uh-huh. It's kind of open to interpretation. You can say it's just, he's just, it's easy to say, oh, I think he's just talking about fire falling out of the sky. But if you start applying all this meteorology to the, uh, to the situation, you can say, yeah, there's some sort of red snow falling in hell, which sounds right. Well, wait a second. Hold on. Now, how do you have snow in hell? Because I thought hell was supposed to be really hot. That's actually a feature of Dante's hell, right? That many mm-hmm. parts of hell are quite cold. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially the, the bottommost uh, reaches of hell when you get uh, down to the frozen lake of Cositis where, uh, where Lucifer is imprisoned. Uh, he's frozen up to his waist. In ice, so yeah, so yeah there's it's a, got a it's got a wonderful scene of a couple of guys who are frozen up to their necks in ice, and one of them mm-hmm. is chewing on the other one's head. Oh yeah, yeah, and then there are individuals whose head is turned upward so that they they weep for their crimes, and then the water pools in the um, in their eye socket, and then the water freezes, and the expansion of the water in their eye sockets causes them uh, even more pain. 
Wow. See, that's the kind of like, like just a little sciencey nuggets that Dante threw in there. Like he knew, he knew how uh, water expanded when it froze. And so that ended up being a feature of hell. Well, I have great admiration for that. So on the subject though of, of red snow, uh, we see a lot of different accounts of this as far back as perhaps as the third century BCE, uh, when Aristotle reported on the occurrence of red or blood snow. A few centuries later, uh, the Roman historian, uh, Pliny the Elder, uh, originated the idea that the occasional uh, red color in snow is, uh, essentially like that of rust in metal. So this is just old snow and it turns red <laughs> as it falls. Oh uh, man, I love those ancient, uh, yeah. those ancient explanations for things. <laughs> Any anytime you read those those old old scientists, like when they weren't using uh, magic to explain how things happened, they were trying to come up with natural explanations, but they they just weren't yet there yet. The explanations they come up with are always great. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know the the historical accounts going from there. Uh, uh, England the, these these particular accounts uh, are also. Uh, uh, mentioned in uh, Cervini's article about uh, the about the weather and hell, uh-huh. um, English historian the Reverend Thomas Short uh, reported some near uh, Genoa, Italy. Uh, red snow that fell and quote gave a bloody liquor when squeezed. Gross. Yeah. Uh, 1755, uh, a six foot deep blood snowfall was reported in the Alps. Uh, 1810, French newspapers reported that a shower of red snow, together with a fall of insects, fell over Paris. Huh. Yeah. Well, you a know, fall of insects. So yeah. it was snowing snow that was mm-hmm. red and insects at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And we'll see as we'll dis- we'll discuss those two could be combined. Uh, uh, some of the same uh, uh, features of those uh, two phenomena. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Eighteen ninety five residents of Alma, Colorado, reported a pink snowstorm. And then two thousand fifteen, as we'll get into. Uh, you find a couple of different uh, colors of snow occurring in Russia. Orange snow in uh, Saratov on the Volga River and blue snow in Chelyabinsk. Yeah, actually, I've got some stuff to say about that blue snow in a bit because that one, it's especially creepy, but then it turns out alarmingly mundane. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the the obvious point we're getting at here is that uh snow is not always white sometimes it has strange colors and there there are a few known causes for this right yeah yeah and a lot of it really stems down to condensation nuclei so this is the idea that uh, you have uh, little uh, little particles and those uh, serve as the um, as the gathering point for for uh, liquid water and then eventual, uh, eventually the formation of snow uh, crystals and snowflakes that then fall back uh, to the surface of the earth. Okay, so you've got like a, a, a physical particle of matter up in the air that's sort of the seed of the snow snow crystal. Exactly. Yeah. The, the everything forms around that. So uh-huh. at, the, at the heart of a snowflake, you you have a particle, and if that particle happens to say be, if it happens to be a reddish sand particle, uh, then it's it can make the snowflake appear pink or red or orange, depending. And sometimes these are carried from from hundreds of miles away. Uh, for instance, um, uh, there are, there are accounts of uh, of colored snow falling in Europe where the origin appears to be North Africa. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if there's like a big sandstorm in the Sahara or something like that, uh, sand particles lifted up. Could would become part of the snow. Yeah, it gets caught up into the uh, the rise and fall uh, of, of of air particles, the big uh, convection cells that uh, that that serve as a major part of uh, the air movements in our weather systems. Now, whatever his scientific credentials, I imagine Dante had something a little gorier in mind, right? Oh yeah. So, in if you're wondering, well, what's serving as the condensation nuclei in hell? Well, um, I mean, certainly there there. There are particles of just normal uh, inorganic matter around. But uh, Cervini uh, argues that the uh, condensation nuclei here would be bits of blood and gore <laughs> evaporated into the air from the boiling blood river of Phlegeus. So there you go. Seems, Great. Seems fitting. The boiling blood river. Yeah. So there's a certain updraft of blood from the boiling river. Yeah. All these uh, people are are. are Boiled alive in it. The water of the river itself is blood, so all of that ends up evaporating upward, and then it has to come back down, perhaps in the form of rain or snow. Now, this is a side note, Robert, but I do want to get your opinion on this. Why do you think there has never been a great movie version of Dante's Inferno made? Oh, I mean, numerous reasons. I mean, the old silent one is kind of fun to watch, but I think 
in large part because there's just so much content that has to be crunched there. Uh-huh. It's it's so steeped in in medieval culture and church history and Dante's yeah. own personal angst that I mean how do you how do you adapt that and and make it make it work on the screen. Yeah, another part of it though, I remember a friend told me once and it really stuck with me is it'd be impossible to get an R rating. <laughs> you, know, you you how could you how could you do it without getting an unrated film which nobody wants to release. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of graphic content in there, uh particularly in Inferno. But then there's also some just fun stuff like a demon playing a trumpet with its butt. That's great. Yeah. Poppy Satan, Poppy Satan the Lepi. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows what it means. It's great. Oh man, that could be a fun episode sometime. Untranslatable phrases. Oh yeah. Uh, well, okay. Whatever's going on in hell, as we've discussed, there is sometimes red, orange, yellow snow in the real world, but dust particles are not the only scientific explanation for multicolored snow that sometimes looks like it might be bleeding or full of vomit or full of something else gross, uh, full of, full of bile from the underworld, (laughs) because sometimes snow itself is actually an ecosystem. Yeah, this is really uh, phenomenal. And it, and in a way, it ties in nicely with hell because you have essentially uh, organic material serving uh, as the nuclei, right? Yeah. Uh, so as explored in the uh, Scientific American article, Wonderful Things, colon, don't eat the pink snow, <laughs> uh, you have to consider numerous different species of snow algae, including uh, one particular one of note here, and that's the green algae species uh, Clamadominus nivalis. It's a green cryophilic, cryo, so that means it likes ice or mm-hmm. likes cold. Yeah, likes the cold, likes the ice. Uh, cryophilic algae that thrives in freezing water. And at the center of a snowflake, its zygote form depends on a red uh, carotenoid pigment to protect it from UV bombardment. Oh, wow. Yeah. When ben beta carotene, uh, incidentally, performs a similar duty absorbing UV inside the human eye. So this isn't something just completely crazy and, and unique to this species. Yeah. So this is a, a sort of, would you call this an extremophile? It seems like it would probably meet the, the classification because, I mean, living in snow, that's not a very friendly environment. Right. I mean, you, so one of the things pointed out here is that it has to protect itself from UV bombardment. Living on snow is kind of like... I don't know if you wanted to just like live on black asphalt or something like that. <laughs> uh, it's, you're, you're just bombarded by the sunlight. And I guess on the snow, it's reflecting black back because the snow is white. Um, and then of course it's going to be very cold. I, I can imagine that it's where do you get your, your nutrients from? If you need like mineral nutrients mm-hmm. and you're just sitting in the snow, that seems like a nutrient poor environment. Yeah. It seems like a very rough place to, uh, to carve out your, uh, your, your little corner of life. Right. But apparently Clamadominus don't care. The, these, <laughs> uh, these algae are, I don't know. They're, they're, they're tough little buddies, but they do bring us a wonderful, uh, sight from time to time when people come across these things and, and they're not prepared for it. They haven't read these articles. They don't know exactly what it is when they encounter, for example, a, a snowbank on a mountainside that just looks like it's full of blood. Yeah. Or, or what happened here? <laughs> um, or a delicious watermelon icy that apparently they're often referred to as watermelon snows. Uh-huh. Oh, you, yeah. Why yeah. don't you scoop some up and taste it? Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you feel the, uh, the the eating of the watermelon snow. But um, in terms of encountering it, you do tend to encounter it on uh, permanent snow fields and sunny, dry areas. So the snow then ends up blushing as melting erosion and evaporation occur. Uh-huh. And then someone finds it. And they say, hey, maybe I'll have a bite of that. What happens? Well, apparently, according to a, a couple of experts, it has significant laxative properties. Oh. <laughs> so the watermelon snow will, uh, will send you a run into the nearest outhouse, which, which may be especially troubling if you're up in a mountain pass somewhere and okay. you're so all bundled up for the winter. Probably nowhere to go. So pink snow probably, uh, begets, uh, brown snow or black snow, depending. That's gross. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but enough about brown snow. Uh how about how about a little blue snow for us? We mentioned yeah. it earlier. You mentioned that blue snow. Yeah. Uh, so in, in February 2015 in the city of Chelyabinsk, Russia, people started to see something alarming. It was bright blue snow. And this is not just the way ice sometimes looks uh like a powder blue when in the right kind of light or the right kind of uh packing density of the ice. I don't know, you've probably seen glaciers sometimes mm-hmm. that look blue. No, this was snow that was bright blue. Like and, Easter egg blue. And and blue 
just to remind everyone, blue is not a, a color you encounter uh, with tremendous frequency in the natural world. Right. It is a, Except so in the sky. Yes. Yeah. And and there's some that argue that we don't even see it that much in the sky. Oh, um, yeah. Se- a separate tangent that, but uh, but yeah, in terms of just finding, oh, this is this has the pigment blue in it. You don't find it much. So yeah, uh, in the city in Russia, you've got this Easter egg blue snow. Residents claim that when they walk through the areas of the blue snow, they experience sore throats and could taste a sweetness in the air. That's alarming. <laughs> Uh, and Chelyabinsk, unfortunately, is no stranger to weird stuff falling from the sky. They've had their, a, a number of troubling events there. Uh, one of them was that it was uh, the part of Russia that was closest to the 2013 meteor event. The, yes. The Super Bowl-eyed event where a meteor from space entered Earth's atmosphere at this really high velocity at a very shallow angle and then exploded in a gigantic airburst that was brighter than the sun and it shattered windows all throughout the surrounding area. It caused uh, lots of injuries. It, it was a serious meteorological, or not meteorological, <laughs> a serious space object event. Yeah, and uh, it made for some tremendous footage, too, since uh, so many drivers in Russia have the dashboard cameras uh, to protect themselves. Yeah. Uh, we ended up uh, seeing this t- tremendous footage of this, uh, this object searing across the sky. Uh, yeah. So th- they'd had, they'd had the sky explode just a couple years before uh-huh. and then they got the blue snow. So was the blue snow more doom from space? Probably not because th- in this case, there was actually a fairly mundane, but still kind of creepy explanation. There was a, a local food product manufacturer called Vitex. And they admitted through a spokesperson that they, uh, essentially they had a spill. They had a chemical spill. They, they spilled a bunch of powdered Easter egg dye and the powdered dye got into the ventilation system and then it was expelled into the outside air and eventually settled into the snow, dyeing it blue. That's all. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> apparently when you live in Russia, having weird, uh, colored snow happens Pretty frequently. I mean, or at least maybe not pretty frequently, more frequently than than it seems to in other places, because there are also stories of a, a Siberian city in Russia having black snow. Oh, OK. Black snow. Well, that that of course, that instantly brings to mind uh, some possible explanations uh, yeah. in term in terms of uh, just thinking, well, what? sends black particles up into the air uh-huh. burning of course of course yeah so uh, it's not the it's not the uh, correlate of black sunshine th- <laughs> which was my first guess you know you see black snow i'm thinking maybe they're filming a a mastodon music video nearby <laughs> and so like the snow is is coming off the peaks of mount gloomax and caught in a crosswind uh but but it wasn't that it wasn't a special effect it was an accidental byproduct of Industry, or actually, uh, yeah. we would say not industry, but power production in this case, though. It happened in the Siberian city of Omsk, which is apparently an industrial center. The, the first story I heard about this was in the Moscow Times, reported in December 2012. And they said in the Siberian city of Omsk, uh, twice in one week, the city was covered in black snow. And apparently the locals were given lots of assurances. The black snow does not present a health risk. Don't worry about the black snow. Mm-hmm. Just go about your business. Uh, the best lead at the time to explain it was that uh, they said that local prosecutors had begun, uh, they began investigating a couple of local businesses one was a coal producer and the other one was a, a thermal power station known as thermal power station number five. And then they reported again, this was also in the Moscow Times in February 2014, that the black snow was back. It was back in, in Omsk. And this time they reported that it was traceable to air pollution from the city's thermal and electrical power plant. So apparently when it's very cold, okay. uh, the, the coldest times of the year, they really crank up the engines at the thermal power plants. And this causes extra unfiltered atmospheric pollutants to get out into the air, condense, and then fall down in the snow and cover the city in this this scary black snow. That reminds me of some of the um, some of the ideas I've read about uh, a theoretical nuclear winter, uh, in which you've had you know multiple nuclear devices detonate uh, over large population centers, and of course it ends up uh, possibly 
serving as a, a, a sarcophagus uh, for the earth, um, oh, preventing the sunlight from, uh, from warming the world as it should. But, uh, I've also read that you would have, you might have so much material burnt up in those cities, those centers of population, both people and, um, just buildings and, and life itself there that, uh, you would have black or gray snows falling, just the ash from those incinerations. Thanks for cheering us up, Robert. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, the thermal power station involved in the story said, they said they'd get a new filter. <laughs> okay, alright. Just well, slap a new filter. Yeah, that on. turns out. Yeah, we need a new filter. We'll, we'll get that replaced. Okay, so we've talked about the many colors of snow that sometimes crop up on Earth, but it's all still Earth snow. We've mentioned hell snow a little bit, but, but I want to hear about some real alien snow. Like, does it snow on Mars? Does it snow on other planets? What, what happens beyond the bounds of our little blue marble? Well, here's what we know. Um, and I'm just going to go through some, uh, some planets here, some also some, uh, some moons in our solar system and discuss just what might be falling that at least resembles snow. Okay, let's start with Mars. Mm-hmm. We already know what's going on on Earth. But on Mars, in the polar regions, you'll find carbon dioxide crystal snow. Uh, but not in the form of t- traditional snowflakes, but more in the form of um, cubo-octahedrons. And so these are, these are they, they have eight triangular faces and six square faces. Okay. Wait, wait, hold on. So it, carbon dioxide snow, that would mean it's snowing dry ice, right? If dry ice is frozen carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my reader. That's messed up. <laughs> uh, but if you go on, uh, on over to, uh, Jupiter, if you visit the Jovian moon Io, you'll find sulfur dioxide snow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So molten sulfur blasts out of the, the moon's many active volcanoes. It freezes in space and it falls back down. As, uh, as fluffy yellow snow. That's sick. <laughs> Io's a really cool moon, by the way. Everybody, when, whenever, uh, people are talking about the moons of Jupiter, Europa gets all the attention mm-hmm. because it's got those subterranean oceans. Oh, people yes. I think you might find life there or something like that. But, but Io is worth a look. It is a volatile volcanic hellscape of a planet that's really beautiful and very interesting. <laughs> Indeed. Now, if you head on out to Saturn, you can visit, uh, Enceladus. And here you'll find water and ammonia snow, thanks to water and ammonia geysers in the South Polar region that blast their content hundreds of miles into space, so far that most of it doesn't even come back down again. It leaves Enceladus and uh, eventually uh, for- forms part of Saturn's E-ring. Whoa. Uh, but what whatever doesn't uh, venture out to the E-ring falls back down as powdery snow. And this is crazy. The snow doesn't accumulate uh, with any real degree of speed, but it's been falling so long in certain uh, regions of Enceladus for millions of years. So in places, uh, we suspect that you have 100-meter-deep um, snow drifts of this uh, water and ammonia snow. Wow. So w- what would happen if you landed on one of those snow drifts? Would you just sink into it? Uh, I don't, yeah, maybe, because it's supposedly pretty powdery stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it wouldn't, I don't, I don't, I don't get the, the sense that it would be particularly packed. All right, if we head on out a little further into the solar system, we'll visit Neptune. Uh, specifically, we'll uh, visit the Neptunian, Neptunian moon Triton. All right, and here, nitrogen and methane snow uh, falls in the southern polar region, uh, and it's pink snow. So Great. potentially, uh, this this could be what's going on in the Cat in the Hat uh, uh, comes back. Now, will it give you the runs? Um, I don't think it would have, uh, a, I don't think it would be good for you. Uh, <laughs> I would not eat it if you visit, uh, Triton in the foreseeable future. Uh, it's also worth noting that this snow is also caused by geysers, uh, uh. so similar to what we've talked about, uh, on, uh, on Enceladus. And then finally, if you venture out to Pluto, you might get some snow there as well. Uh, Hubble Space Telescope uh, findings originally suggested that uh, that the, the Pluto experiences uh, snows of nitrogen, methane, and possibly carbon monoxide. And uh, New Horizons' uh, recent uh, uh, evidence seems to support the idea. But uh, but we're talking a pretty pretty distant uh, location in our solar system here. Uh, yeah, I remember reading about that when the New Horizons uh, data was first coming back. That they were they were talking about what types of particles you would observe mm-hmm. falling down on the surface of Pluto, which again was one of the things that surprised me about Pluto because I guess for some reason I thought of it as 
just absolutely dead. You yeah. Know, just like a place, kind of like the moon, where just not much is going on. Yeah, I feel like our idea of, of Pluto has been so reduced in recent years, given our increased knowledge about what's there and what might be there, that we just we don't think of it having any kind of systems in place. You just think of it as this dead rock. Yeah. Uh, but but not so. Uh, the the new findings about Pluto from New Horizons are very interesting. All right, Joe. We just traveled pretty far away from uh, from Earth, all the way out to to to, the, to the, the far reaches of our solar system. So it makes sense that at this point in the podcast, we've moved uh, we've moved further and further away from uh-huh. our uh, original starting point. Let's get into uh, some conspiracy theories about snow, which right. Oh, this was also new to me. I I really didn't think about the fact that there would be conspiracy theories about the content of our snow. Of course there are, because there there are always conspiracy theories about weather. For some reason, weather is a big thing in conspiracy thinking. Really? Yeah, anytime there's a strange weather event. And so, of course, uh, big snowstorms are no different. There have been conspiracy theories about snowstorms, and one of them is the Atlanta Snowmageddon that happened in January 2014. We're bringing it all back home. So (laughs) if you don't know, Robert and uh, Christian and I, we record out of Atlanta, Georgia. And in January 2014, Atlanta, Georgia was essentially smashed into pieces by two inches of snow. Yeah, just completely shut down. Yeah. and a lot of it had to do with just preparation for it and how uh, everyone, including the city, responded initially uh, in terms of shutting things down. Yeah, the fact that there are more cars in Atlanta than there are atoms. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it, it, it was a big problem. The, the freeways were jammed with cars that were stuck in the snow. People were freaking out about it, trying to trying to find ways to get home. A lot of people couldn't. They were stuck in in a McDonald's overnight or something like that. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was a it was a big problem. Uh, I don't know what happened to you, Robert. Did did you get home all right? Yeah, we we didn't have any problem. Uh, we were just uh, at home uh, with our son uh, during that uh, time and. Uh, he was just amazed by the snow and didn't really like going out in it. But oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, w- I was very lucky too. I was very fortunate. I got home and didn't really encounter any major problems. Yeah, but we all—I uh, think we all knew people who were either stuck at work or stuck, you know, even worse, somewhere between work and home, uh, or caught at the airport. They were just like, everybody had it, had those stories at least in their uh, initial orbit. Yeah, but for a lot of people, this was not just a major uh, disaster. Major you know, weather event and problem in the city, it was a big wake up sheeple moment. You know, they were like, get your kids to stop making snow angels because that snow is fake and it's CIA Satanism. Huh. Okay. Well, well, let's hear this. Let's hear the the argument for why Atlanta was subjected to fake snow and how, how would you even know? How do you prove that this is fake snow uh, as opposed to real snow? Well, the general principle behind this conspiracy theory might be older, but a wave of videos emerged in the winter of 2014 and the standard setup goes like this. A guy gets his camera, he goes outside and he scoops up some snow from his yard and he brings it inside and he rolls it in his palm. Uh, to pack it into a little snowball or a little snow tube. And then he holds a cigarette lighter up to it. Mm -hmm. And much to our surprise, the snow does not melt into water and drip away, or at least not as fast as we would expect. Instead of liquefying and dripping onto the floor, the part of the snow exposed to the lighter looks like it, it kind of collapses in on itself, and then it turns gray or black. And then the narrator observes that this snow must be fake, plastic, toxic chemicals, harp juice, geoengineering nanoparticles. Wait, wait, wait. What's harp juice? Harp. You know about harp? Hmm. Not sure I do. It's a radio transmission research project up in Alaska that a lot of, uh, conspiracy theorists think is, I don't know, being used to create earthquakes or create bad weather events and more of these weather conspiracies. Okay, so it's a conspiracy theory touchstone area. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they think it's, it's it has something to do with that or it's chemtrails or it's geoengineering nanoparticles or nanorobots or some other evil substance uh, and ex- then they exhort yonder sheeple to awaken. Okay. <laughs> what What's the motive? I'm not quite sure. Uh, I mean, was it just like there were some Yankee scientists who were trying to make Atlanta look foolish by shutting down the city with two inches of fake snow? That was one of the results. That's true. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. But anyway, several. Maybe some sort of corporate espionage thing. Uh-huh. Because you end up shutting down the city uh, economically. So maybe what, there was some uh, hidden nefarious purpose there. I suppose we'll never know. Uh, but anyway, so there were several scientists and skeptics who took a crack at this to see what was going on. The first observation, it obviously wasn't a conspiracy to cripple Atlanta or the southeast in particular with this stuff because people from other regions burned their snowballs with cigarette lighters and got the same result. Ah, okay. So if this is a conspiracy, it's a global conspiracy. This is probably more a situation of most people don't try to burn snowballs. And and surprisingly, the result of trying to burn snow, snowballs is different than you might expect. Right. That's exactly what's going on. So what is happening with the snow? Why does it do this? Uh, first of all, why doesn't it drip? You, you would expect, I mean, I certainly intuitively would have expected if you hold a lighter up to a snowball, mm-hmm. it's going to drip water all over the floor. Right. And that, Seems doesn't, logical. that doesn't seem to happen. Here's the explanation. Freshly fallen snow is like 90 to 95 percent air. Okay. So and this is the reason why snow, you know, you have some animals that will dig a snow cave for insulation from the cold. And you think like, wait, how can that protect them from the cold if they're in the snow? Not only animals, humans, too. Yeah. 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 Totally true. So the snow has a lot of uh, gaps in it and with all these little pockets of air in it. The air can't really move around, and it, it ends up creating a good insulation layer between the the what's going on inside and the the heat from the outside. But anyway, it's not very dense. So snow, even packed snow, packed into a snowball, is less dense than ice or liquid water. Uh, it's kind of like wool or any other loose, solid material. It's full of wonderful little pockets and tunnels and spaces for liquid water to be absorbed. And so when you hold a lighter up to a snowball and melt the water, the water is melting. The ice is melting and turning into liquid water, but it's being absorbed up into all those pockets in the snowball, all those little holes and places for liquid water to go. Okay, so it's not like just hold, it wouldn't be like holding the, the lighter up to a chunk of ice, for instance. Right, and yeah. it's true. If you hold the lighter up to a chunk of ice, it'll drip. Mm-hmm. The snowball doesn't drip very much. What's the explanation, though, for the blackening? That's the really weird thing. Holding mm-hmm. a lighter, holding a cigarette lighter up to a snowball, and then the snowball appears to get scorched. It turns gray or black. I mean, uh, water isn't supposed to get scorched. That doesn't happen. And it's true, the water is, in fact, not getting scorched. What's going on here is that the lighters that people are using in these videos are standard butane lighters. The, the fuel is butane, which is a hydrocarbon fuel. It's C4H10. And it doesn't always burn with perfect efficiency. C4H10 reacts in a combustion reaction with oxygen that creates CO2, so carbon dioxide, and then water, H2O. But it also sometimes produces a an, a pollutant byproduct to the fact that it doesn't burn perfectly clean. And these are extra carbon particles. The carbon particles are black, and we call them soot. Ah, okay. So we kind of get down to the black snow uh, situation we had earlier with exactly. the power plant pumping up uh, a bunch of black soot into the atmosphere. Exactly, yeah. So you're, what's going on when your snowball turns black when you hit, cook it with the lighter is not that the snow is turning black. You are polluting the snowball with soot from the lighter you're using. Uh, the soot collects on the clean white snowball and stains it a darker color. Okay. Uh, so here's the real conspiracy theory death blow. People said, well, what if we heat the snowball in a different way than with a lighter, like if we put it in a bowl in the microwave or in a pan on the stove? And what do you know? It melted into regular water just fine. Uh, though in the pan, an interesting thing that you can see happen is that the part of the snowball that's touching the pan on the bottom, uh, it begins to melt first, and then the rest of the snowball absorbs the liquid water. You huh. can see the water level uh, flowing up uh, as if by capillary action into the snowball above it. And... uh and there you pretty much have what's going on. Huh. And this gives us a new activity uh, to enjoy yeah. on uh, on snow days this year. Yeah, yeah, frying snowballs. Okay. Yeah. Is that is <laughs> Now that's got to be the next big state fair food, right? They've oh, got they've got flash fry snowball. They've got deep fried Snickers bars, deep fried Kool-Aid and the next thing is going to be deep fried snow. Maybe. Well, I mean you there's fried ice cream, right? 
I've never had that. What, what what do you do with that? How does it not melt? I think it's, well, it's been a long time since I've had it. I seem to recall that it is uh, like really cold ice cream, and it's just fried so quickly that it's uh, the ice cream is melting as you open it up. But it's been it's been a long time since I had it. Yeah. Mm. Likewise, it's been a long time since I've had uh, uh, you know what do you, what do you call it when you just add sugar to the snow uh, and you eat it? A snow cone. Well, I guess you could call it that. We had we called it something different though as a kid. Uh, oh, snow cone's a good analogy for yeah. what's going on here. Actually, if you pour the syrup into a snow cone, oh yeah, it gets it's absorbed yeah. into the snow. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, one of, one of the best sources I found on this was the, um, was the astronomer and skeptic blogger Phil Plate's blog post. Oh, yes. Over at Slate. The bad had, astronomy guy. Yeah, yeah. Bad astronomer. He, he had a really good breakdown of exactly what's going on. And I think he has the most thorough explanation of, uh, of exactly why this is not snow you should be worried about. Okay. All right. So, so in other words, when it comes to, Generating conspiracy theories about the next big snowfall. Uh, look elsewhere. We've already we, we've already thoroughly right. explained the uh, the fake snow, the blackening snow, the snow that won't melt. On the other hand, as our as our several lessons from Siberia have taught us, if you do see uh, snow that seems to be laden with chemicals, it's entirely possible that this is some kind of weird industrial byproduct or otherwise not good snow, and might be worth bringing to somebody's attention. Yeah. So. All bets are off. <laughs> it's possible that, that not all snow is good snow. Yeah. And yeah, and if it's a strange color, you maybe think twice before you attempt to deep fry it for the fair. <laughs> so there you have it. Some weird snow, some space snow, some multicolored snow. Some evil snow. Yeah. So uh, there's a little more material for you to think about when uh, when the white stuff starts uh, falling this winter on you and you begin to wonder if you're going to school or work the next morning. Okay, so honestly, do you think we're going to get any snow here in Atlanta this year? Based on what we've seen so far, I would say no. I would say this year is off. But yeah. who knows? The way things have been going recently with uh, the crazy weather patterns, maybe we'll get it in July. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. All right, that's it. In the meantime, if you want to check out more episodes, again, head on over to stuffboyyourmind.com. That's where you'll find all the podcast episodes. You'll find videos. You'll find blog posts. You'll find links to social media accounts, such as uh, uh, our Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we're Blow the Mind on both of those. We're Stuff to Blow Your Mind on Tumblr. And if you want to get in touch with us with your favorite science fact about snow or your weirdest personal snow story, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 